재미와 지식의 오디오 라이프 팝빵. And we're back. We are talking about how South Korea is trying to join the global community and make this push towards a wider adoption of EV or eco-friendly type of vehicles, moving away from more of the fossil fuel-based cars like diesel, like gasoline. It's part of a global trend, and we're talking about some of the policy measures and how effective they ultimately will be. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51, or send us a Talk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. We're going to be joined by an expert from the UK very shortly. Once again, here in the studio, though, Professor Hwang Jong-uk. Uh, Professor Hwang, in terms of uh, the lobbying that usually goes on when, you know, a government decides to implement these kind of measures, you know that there's always a tug of war kind of uh, being pulled in different directions. Generally, how do the uh, South Korean automakers, uh, maybe even the oil companies, in this case, largely the petrochemical or the oil refinery uh, companies, do, do they oppose this? Do you think that um, they may use their lobbying powers to perhaps prevent any further or more aggressive moves by the government? Well, one thing to note is that there was no talk about increase in tax on the diesel. I mean, they're now going to study feasibility of maybe looking at the gasoline price versus diesel price. They're, the government announcement was that they're actually going to commission a study, which means that the action is uh, literally a years away. So already, I, I think any kind of politically sensitive actions have already been ruled out. I mean, one measure that is probably pro-environment, to be fair, and that also really pleases especially the automakers is that government has introduced uh, the reduction in taxes, acquisition taxes for people who are trading in their old diesel cars to buy new cars. So then, you know, old, I mean, obviously older diesel cars t- tends to be, I mean, more pollutants. So we want to take them off the road. For the automakers, for obviously means they're increasing their sales of new cars. So it's a good news for them. So probably, you know, that, that, that is a well-designed policy that is a win-win for both the industry as well as for the environment. But, I, you know, I fear that there may be, you know, some costly actions that we should be taking that probably we the government is not really looking into because of the powerful lobbies from the industries. Let's also get the thoughts uh, of an expert from the UK. Joining us, we have the uh, chair of the chemical engineering department at the University of Sheffield, Professor Peter Hall. Hello. Uh, good evening, sir. Well, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Uh, generally, and we know we get, we get a lot of the headlines and the and the uh, flashy cars that come out, the Tesla uh, Model S or the new Model 3, and a lot of the other major automakers have been on board with these new exciting cars. But how far has uh, EV technology come in recent years? Are we, are we close to solving all of those perceived shortcomings, including range, uh, and maybe having a vehicle that could be mainstream? Um, in the grand scale of things, have we achieved a breakthrough? I would have to say no. Mm. Have we come a long way since Goodenough's early work on lithium cobalt batteries, which uh, are associated with the notorious Boeing accidents? I would say yes. Um, if you look at new battery chemistries, um, looking at lithium, lithium ion phosphate, lithium manganese oxide and things like that, these have offered tremendous uh, increases in capacity uh, and, and safety as well. Uh, but have they increased the battery by a capacity of 10 so that we can compete with uh, petroleum and diesel cars? I would have to say no. Mm. Um, I would say what uh, the main progress we've made 
is in uh, increasing the quality of these batteries, their reliability, uh, and as a result of this through competition, uh, not least through Samsung, I should say, uh, the cost of these things. And, of course, um, the famous uh, Mr. Elon Musk has really challenged everybody to produce much cheaper, much safer batteries through his, uh, his uh, Gigafactory uh, initiative. Is that and I'd say the, the other thing that we where we've made progress is is how to drive and use these things and also knowledge about how people actually drive electrical batteries uh, electrical cars in the real world. Right. And uh, just turning to Professor Huang, bring him into the conversation as well. Uh, South Korea is a global provider of EV batteries, also related equipment. Uh, Professor Hall mentioned uh, Gigafactory, um, the uh, initiative by uh, Elon Musk, this massive scale um, factory that will churn out these uh, high-capacity batteries. That being said, does South Korea have some leverage to become a major player in this game? Well, first of all, I'm not really in a position to uh, assess the technology level of these uh, South Korean companies. But one thing I do know is that given the industrial uh, structure of the South Korean uh, economy, I think EV uh, battery producers versus the the traditional vehicle producers in Korea, I think the the relative strength within the Korean industrial makeup is rather uh, one-sided. The automobile industry is much larger, employs more people, has much more lobbying power. So unless some game changer comes along, I I fail to see how the political lobbying Mm. power structure will change just because of some uh, near-term technological improvements. And Professor Hall, this is not necessarily a question related to battery technology or chemical engineering, but hypothetically, if oil prices uh, remained at those sky-high levels we saw just a few years ago, uh, $110, $120 uh, per barrel of crude, would you say that market acceptance as well as perhaps the impetus to pump more money into R&B with EV vehicles as well as its batteries uh, would have been significantly more advanced now or is that a hypothetical that we never know in this day and age of uh, record low oil prices? I I fully understand why you're asking that question Um, because um, of course when oil prices are high, logically you would think that it was an initiative to to electrify transport and displace uh, petroleum products and uh, as as a result of this, uh, when the oil price is down, it's starting to creep up again, but it's lowest. We never saw any evidence that research and development of battery transport was being affected Mm. at all. In in fact, um, evidence is, is... if anything, is the opposite. Uh, for example, just to consider the, uh, the, the French uh, petrochemical uh, company Total, they have taken over uh, Europe's largest lithium-ion battery, namely SAFT, for 1.1 billion US dollars. And so the reduction of the profits of the, uh, of the petrochemical companies has come under threat. So when the oil price is high, well, it's does society no good and when the oil price is too low it does industry no good so Mm. i don't think that we've seen any limitations of the push towards electrified transport at all all right very uh good news on that front now professor huang here in south korea 
again, the country wants to have more and more people accept EV vehicles. Uh, you and I, we live in those uh, very stereotypical apartment-like complexes. And, and you just even think of, even if it's a plug-in hybrid vehicle, it's not a practical option as of yet. What That's is right. our regulatory, even infrastructure, um, like to be able to accept EVs in a more mainstream, uh, wider spread level? Well, in Korea, the current infrastructure is nearly zero, as you said. Um, and the major stumbling block in Korea, especially, is the lack of recharging stations. I mean, you can go out and buy hybrid cars, but there just aren't that many recharging stations. So you, you just, you know, once you run out of electricity, you have to rely on gasoline at the moment. So government is putting in and is planning to invest a lot more in increasing the recharging stations around the country. And we'll see how that gets implemented. And Professor Hall, from what I understand, and we've had interviews uh, with experts from the UK, is um, there is, of course, much more progress being made in the UK and in other parts of Europe. Uh, can you discuss the regulatory environment um, in the UK as well as maybe the R&D uh, environment there with regards to EV vehicles and technology? And if not the UK, what are other uh, countries that are kind of at the forefront of things? Okay, well, uh, as regards to the UK, I mean, I hate to say this at the moment, uh, but we're alongside our European partners in uh, reducing carbon. So we have a direct subsidy of about £15,000 on battery cars. If you live in London, there are no uh, congestion charges. Uh, many cities offer free parking and indeed uh, free recharging. Uh, as Professor Huang was saying, we don't have enough charging points for future developments. But perhaps um, it's good to consider... Uh, the two European countries, in fact, uh, perhaps globally the two countries that have got the largest penetration of, uh, of EV cars, um, in particular Norway. Right. Um, so, for example, in Norway, there's zero sales tax, which is currently about 25%. Uh, they're heavily subsidized. There are no tolls, no ferries. Uh, with the result that um, if you go out and buy, let's say, a VW Golf, the electric version is about 30% cheaper than the diesel version. Hmm. Um, and also the Dutch, number two in the world in penetration, I believe. Um, it's interesting to note uh, in a non-binding vote that the lower house of the Dutch parliament has voted to, uh, to ban the sale of petrol cars by 2025. Now, this is awaiting uh, approval by the Senate, in, uh, but this just shows the, the way mm. that, um, that things are moving in Europe. Uh, of course, electric cars are suited to the driving style in London, in the Netherlands, and many parts of Norway, so it might be biased. But uh, I think that things can happen very, very quickly. And uh, if we don't have the perfect legislation, at least we have adequate legislation in place. Speaking of... Uh I suppose you said bias, but the, the more uh, America-centric people, and you sometimes if you look at the tech, tech, technology headlines, it seems like everything is coming out because Elon Musk is such a, a a seminal figure in all of this. Um, you mentioned the, the the environment being suitable for EVs in places like London, this wide expanse of space in the United States, uh, despite the fact you have country, uh, companies like Tesla and some of the other American manufacturers really trying to push forward with EV technology. Is it safe to say that if it is wide, if, it, if the acceptance of EV vehicles is widespread and uh, mainstream in the United States, uh, that the rest of the world will soon be, I suppose, eco-friendly, EV-friendly? 
Uh, I would say so, uh, if not uh, simply because the, the problem, uh, problems of solving EV driving in the United States are, are much more extreme than they are in, in Europe and uh, I guess uh, Korea and to, to a large extent Japan. Um, because we don't tend, we're not, uh, don't have very big motors, we don't have very big air conditioning units and things like that that are uh, very hungry in consuming power. So if we can over overcome the problems in the United States with their driving style, then the rest of the world will be trivial. But meanwhile, um, I think there's a push from the other direction. From mm. the, uh, for example, I don't own a car. I live a few minutes from my work, and when I need a car, I'm a member of a car rental club. Mm. So I just uh, rent a battery car whenever I need to, to use one. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people will be adopting... Uh, my very cheap lifestyle. <laughs> and it, it is, it's quite fascinating because everyone does have a, a unique lifestyle and, and their needs, of course, differ from person to person. And we know that it can get confusing trying to keep up with all of this, whether it's driverless technology, whether it's uh, the fact that uh, old guard industries like the taxi industry perhaps are under threat from these uh, more disruptive ways of doing business. But generally speaking with EVs, and whatever country you are, whatever policy you have in place to try and encourage the adoption of eco-friendly cars, um, just from a scientific perspective, what are some of the principal remaining technologies? You did mention at the beginning of this that we're not quite there yet. What do you hope to see within the next few years that you think will be uh, not necessarily a tipping point, but uh, a really uh, a marker that you can point to that says, look, this is how it's going to happen and this is how we're going to succeed? Right, okay. Well, um, very fair question. Well, I think that, um, first of all, if you look at a typical EV car, we only use, uh, in many cases, half of the onboard electricity. That's because um, they run very, very conservatively. Um, EV battery packs are massively over-engineered just to make uh, sure that they last a lot longer. If we understood how batteries decay and we can monitor their state of health and state of charge more exactly, we would be able to get much more energy out of the existing technologies. We can use batteries for vehicle-to-grid, so we can support the electrical grid from our car batteries when power is needed. Um, Second-life batteries. We throw away car batteries when they've lost 20% of their capacity. Mm. That means 80% of the capacity is remaining. So can we use these batteries to support electrical grids, thereby reducing the cost? Um, in terms of uh, new technologies, disruptive technologies, I think, I'd put a bet on it, uh, that in the next uh, 20 to 30 years, that supercapacitors, with their ability to deliver power, for acceleration, recovering energy, lengthening uh, uh, battery lifetime, that's going to be the big technology that we adapt. And I, I predict that supercapacitors with batteries as hybrids will form the next generation of, of EV cars. And these are all things that are sort of a within our lifetime type of time frame, right? Absolutely. We have supercapacitors now, um, but we don't know how to use them. Uh, we, we, we throw away batteries, and we don't know how to use these disused batteries. But these are in our lifetime. If you look to the future, then um, we're working on something called uh, lithium-oxygen batteries. Now, these will increase the capacity of lithium-ion batteries by at least a factor of 10. So instead of uh, sort of 85 kilometers, we're looking at 850 kilometers. Mm. 
but um, predictions about this when this technology will come along, I would say 20, 30 years minimum. So we have long-term solutions and we have short-term solutions and we have engineering and society solutions to really push EV uh, as the uh, predominant transport mechanism. Very exciting to hear indeed. Professor Hall, we're going to leave it there, but thank you very much for your time. Thank you, and you said the word. It's the best time to be alive in uh, right. EV transport at the moment. All right. Thank you very much. That was Professor Peter Hall from the University of Sheffield, uh, Professor Huang here in the studio. Once again, I guess bringing it back home to the uh, South Korean perspective of things, we started off talking about the government's um, push to move people away from diesel, uh, encourage them to get more, I suppose, an open mind towards eco-friendly cars, despite the fact the infrastructure is not in place. I think what we can kind of uh, get from what Professor Hall has basically explained with UK, uh, with Norway, or even with the United States, is that uh, Korea's a little bit behind uh, on a, a lot of these things. Uh, what is your outlook here? And again, I guess we're not going to try to assess the uh, scientific merits and the technological hurdles that we have to race, but in terms of just how the uh, regulatory framework is and how generally Korean society is moving right now, all of these inherent challenges in place. Uh, how realistic is it, do you think, that this would be something that will be widespread within, I guess, our, a decade or even within our lifetimes? Well, I mean, Korea is pretty fast to catch up with the rest of the uh, world. So if the rest of the world economy sort of moves fast away from the you know, gasoline-based vehicles to you know, EV-based cars, and I think the Korea will, will definitely uh, catch up. I, I think something that is a little more relevant to everybody's everybody, uh, everyday lives is the, probably the issue of the, the fine dust, the pollution that does affect you know, our day-to-day well-being. You know, there are many days you go out in the streets of Seoul and you know, you know, really visible, really palpably feel the you know dust particles in the air. And I think you know, uh, we need to be the public needs to be better aware of the you know causes of this, such pollution because you know, for a while people thought they oh, it's all coming from China, actually, it turns out that it doesn't. Well, something like 50 to 70 percent of the pollutants actually come from domestic sources. And part of the solution was that, you know, hey, we have a lot of pollutants coming from diesel fuel cars. That's why we're talking about EVs. We have problems with plants, power plants, manufacturing plants. I think all these things, I think Koreans need to be better politically aware of. Yeah, and that, you know, what you just mentioned, there's sort of the big irony of it, because I remember when we were talking about the problem with yellow dust, the seasonal mm-hmm. yep. uh, problems with that, and then fine dust reared its ugly head. And it was very convenient to go, oh, gosh, the Gobi Desert and all that <laughs> pollution right, yeah. coming from Beijing. And what can we do? We're just stuck here. And it's just those bad, dirty Chinese polluters when it, it was a little bit of egg on your face. Exactly. If, you're from a, yep. if you're here in Korea saying this is all homegrown stuff, then the question is, and you're kind of pointing out this is a two-pronged thing, right? Yes, Eco-friendly cars. Yes, moving towards EV. This is what the rest of the world is doing. We should do that too. But is that addressing the crux issue of what is really relevant to our health and livelihoods, That's right. which is fine dust? And you say unless we address those issues of power plants and factories – that's not going to solve the problem. Exactly. And I hope that people are aware of this and, you know, pressure their national assemblymen and other politicians to take actions. All right. Well, I got to say before we say goodbye, Professor Huang, that uh, you joining us in the new studio for our very first uh, Sangamdong broadcast was a treat. I know it's a little bit of a longer commute for you, but nevertheless, always appreciate your insights and look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you very much. My pleasure.